Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 120 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about the secret to living a holy life. Let's dive in. Amy Carmichael, the great missionary to India, often quoted this statement by John Tabler. John Tabler said this, a pure heart is one to which all that is not of God is strange and jarring. <laughs> Let me read that again so you get it. A pure heart is one to which all that is not of God is strange and jarring. I really love that idea that when we are really embracing the fullness of the life of Christ, when we're actually living out the Christian life, well, then God is going to be purifying and sanctifying our hearts which means that all that is not of the character and nature of God is actually going to become strange and jarring to our lives. Isn't it a phenomenal idea that we could be so close and so intimate and just having such great fellowship with Jesus Christ that when something is not of him, we just know it. It's like, well, I don't want to participate in that because I want to continually cultivate just the richness of intimacy that I have with Jesus Christ. It really goes back to this idea of holiness. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word holy, but in our culture today, it's like holiness has gotten a rather negative view. It's basically become a list of things that we're not supposed to do. In other words, if I'm going to live a holy life, well, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And well, I better stay away from this, this, and this. But interestingly, in the Bible, every time holiness is mentioned, it's always in the positive. In other words, it's not a separation from something, but rather it is a separation unto someone. In other words, it's not what you don't get to do. Holiness is actually what you can experience, which is the life of God himself. Now, when you look at this idea of holiness, we know that several times throughout scripture, God says, be holy as I am holy. In other words, just as God is set apart and just as he is not like the world around him, well, so too he is calling us to participate in that life or in that set-apartness or in that holiness. That you and I are not to be just like the world around us. 
Yes, we may be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. And it is that holiness or that sanctifying process where God is working in our lives to make us more like him. And again, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. For whatever reason, over the last maybe 100 years or so, you know, as the holiness movement was kind of ramping up about 100 years ago and and as it kind of got into its heyday, it's interesting that there's a lot of great things that came out of it. But one of the negatives is that it's almost like the second generation merely looked upon this movement of, hey, I want to be pure and holy before the Lord. But all they saw it is a list of do's and don'ts. It was a list of regulations and legalism. But really, that's not what holiness is. You get this idea that God himself is holy. In fact, I would argue that God alone is the Holy One. When you come to scripture, it's it's just interesting that it says that the very best that we can produce is but filthy rags in the book of Isaiah. That my own righteousness, if, if I try to produce holiness or righteousness or purity in and of my own self, well, I'm going to fail. Why? Because there's actually nothing good within me. It's just I'm full of junk and sin. But God himself is the Holy One. That he actually is not just merely holy. He's not even holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. And there's this just phenomenal concept that if God is the Holy One and he really is the only one who is holy, and I cannot work up my own holiness. I, I can't produce my own righteousness. Well, how on earth am I going to be holy as he is holy? If, if I am commanded as a Christian to be like God as, as he is in his holiness, if I'm supposed to be pure and righteous as he is, well, if the best I can pull off is filthy rags, how am I going to make it? And therein lies the secret to holiness. You know the story well, but one day there's this shepherd and he's been tending the sheep for about 40 years. And one day he makes his way up on this mountain. And and as he's on this mountain, he'd no doubt been on this mountain countless times beforehand. But on this particular day, as he was on the mountain, he looks over and there's this bush that begins to burn. Now the bush is burning, but it's not burning. In other words, there's fire in the bush, but the bush isn't burning. And Moses goes, well, I need to investigate what on earth is going on. So Moses goes over to this bush that's burning, but not burning. And this voice speaks to him from the bush. And the voice says, Moses, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Now, if I was Moses, I would have looked at the bush and said, I'm sorry, bush. Uh, I think you're, I think you're mistaken. See, I've been on this mountain countless times and it's never been holy. In fact, look at all the, look at, just look at the ground. There's a whole bunch of dead you know, twigs and, and leaves and, and Hey, I've got a bunch of sheep and the sheep eat and they do stuff. And trust me, Bush, this ground is not holy. But what's interesting is the ground was holy. Well, what had changed? It's not that the ground had changed. It's the fact that God showed up and the fact that God who is holy showed up upon this land that was presumably unholy you realize the ground became holy because the ground derived its holiness from God himself. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Uh, You come to the time of David and he's bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And as they're bringing the ark in, they were incorrectly transporting the ark and they had it on a little cart with some oxen. And the oxen stumbles and the man reach out 
reaches out and he touches the side of the ark to keep it from falling, which sounds like a great noble purpose because, hey, we don't want the ark to fall on the ground. And yet the moment he touched the ark, boom, the man died. And you could say, well, that's strange because didn't men make the ark? They had to, you know, cut the wood and, and make the gold overlay. And so people were touching the ark all the time. So what was different about this particular situation? Well, at this time, God's presence had come down upon the ark and made the ark holy. So again, you get this idea that here is God, the holy one, and he calls me to be like he is. He's calling me to be holy as he is holy. But what choice do I got? How am I going to pull this thing off? Well, if I turn within myself, if I come to my own intellect or my own ability or talent or resource, well, it's merely but filthy rags. I can't be holy in and of myself. But the grand secret to holiness is that I need to embrace the one who is holy. And when my life embraces the one who is holy, I derive holiness from him who is holy. So do you realize then that I am called to be holy, but the only option I have to be holy is to really wrap my arms around him and somehow embrace him and really hold tight to him for life and for godliness. And when I embrace Jesus Christ, when Jesus becomes the fullness of my life, when his life invades my own, and when I abide in him as a branch abides in the vine, so too my life begins to reflect and take on his holiness. That is just a phenomenal concept that I cannot be holy on my own, but when I embrace Jesus in oneness, in relationship and intimacy, then he begins to produce and reveal, and I derive my holiness through him, that he produces it within me. He reveals his holiness through me. Man, I just love that idea. So let's take it one step further. Isn't it interesting how people define themselves? See, biblically, we are not defined by what we do, but rather by who we are. Now, get this. Now, who we are is going to determine what we do. So, even though we are not defined by what we do, in other words, uh, I teach. So, all right, I'm defining myself as a teacher. But see, that's not biblically how that works. See, biblically, I'm not defined by my actions. I'm defined by the identity of who I am on the inside. But who I am on the inside is going to be driving the actions that come out of my life. So when we're talking about holiness, holiness that is not doing holy things, it's not doing a list of actions of do's and don'ts, thereby, well, I'm living a holy life. Rather, God comes into my life and he begins to make me holy And my identity on the inside is that of holiness. Therefore, holy activity is going to come out of my life. But it's not the activity which is the focus. It is the identity on the inside. (laughs) I hope that made sense. See, it's a crazy thought. But if I found out all the right things to do and I did them, well, I'd still die and go to hell. Why? Because this is not about activities. This is about a change of nature. See, heaven and hell is not based on activity. Heaven and hell is based on a change of nature. That my nature prior to Jesus was full of sin and junk and selfishness and, and it's, just, it's just defined by sin. And yet God comes in and changes my nature and I am deriving holiness 
by him and thereby my nature is changed. And as such, what comes out of my life is going to be a result of that internal nature. So this isn't, well, I've still got a sinful nature and and just full of junk and crud, and I'm just mimicking or acting out this holy activities. No, no, no. See, the emphasis here is he changes my nature and what comes out of my life is the is, is just is a result of the change of nature. And it really is like the picture of a fruit tree. See, when you change the nature of the fruit tree, the tree is going to bear the fruit of the nature of the tree. In other words, if you have an apple tree and it really is an apple tree, it's going to bear the fruit of apple trees. And so if God is, is changing my life, no longer am I going to bear the fruit of sin. I'm going to be bearing the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of the spirit. So let me wrap this up then. See, I in and of myself cannot produce holiness. The best I can do is but filthy rags. But God, who is the Holy One, wants to come and have relationship with me. And when I embrace the one who is holy, I find that I become holy as he is holy because I am deriving my holiness via him. And what begins to happen is when I begin to live out the holy life because he's changed my nature, then what is produced is that holiness then defines my very person. And then that holiness is going to result in the fruits of holiness or the fruits of the spirit coming out of my life. So let me apply this to you. You realize that God has called you to be holy and pure and righteous just as he is. But this is not through your self-effort. This is not through your discipline or gritting your teeth or taking cold showers or trying to do these holy, righteous, good acts. See, holy, righteous, good acts should come out of your life, but not because you're trying to grit your teeth and force them out, but rather because you just can't help yourself. It's a change of nature. So the only option that you and I have to live the lives that God is calling us to live is to literally wrap ourselves in the middle of, to embrace afresh, to hold tight to, to focus upon and to build our lives upon Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ becomes the fullness of our life, when he becomes a delight of our very being, when he becomes a North star that we aim everything towards, when the centrality of Christ becomes our life, well, we can't help but be holy because he is holy and we are embracing the one who is holy. Well, I hope that makes sense. Regardless to say this, go after Jesus afresh. And my prayer for you is not that you just grow passive or weak or just kind of stale in your pursuit of Jesus Christ, but what would it look like to press in afresh? What would it look like to hunger and thirst after him, the one who is righteous? See, what would it look like to live with full abandonment and total obsession and go after Jesus Christ, knowing that your life is full and complete in him. For as 2 Peter 1.3 says that I so often quote, that all things that we need for life and for godliness is found in one single place. His name is Jesus. So if you want to look more like Jesus, if you want to look more and more holy and righteous and pure, then you've got to embrace Jesus. And yes, you've got to obey. And yes, you've got to press in. That's all true embrace the one who is holy and you'll find that he's going to be shaping and transforming you more and more into his image. Well, no, I'm cheering you on under that end. 
And thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 120 for episode 120. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around the holy, righteous, and pure one, Jesus Christ.